Father, we thank you, God, for the fact that your wounds have paid our ransom, for the fact that we are no longer the same because of what you have done. God, I pray that this morning as we talk about who you are, as you have revealed yourself in your word, God, I pray that we would understand more deeply what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, what it means to have had an encounter with the God of glory. Lord, I know that, that there are many people in this world that think that they've had an encounter with Jesus Christ and all they had was an emotional experience. God, but a true encounter with the God of glory means that there's a change that happens in our life as a result of that encounter. And Lord, I pray that people recognize that today. As we look at your word and we look at what you have to say to us, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts and in our lives, God, to awaken our souls to the truth of your word. God, be glorified now as we look at what you have to say to us. Lord, speak. God, I pray that I would not speak, but I pray that you would speak. In the name of Jesus Christ, our King, I do pray. Amen. You can be seated. So in 1977, Steven Spielberg released a movie. Some of you are like, 1977, that was like two centuries ago. Kenny, what are you talking about? 1977, Steven Spielberg released a movie called Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Anybody in here remember that movie at all, right? You do, right? That's kind of a crazy movie, right? There was uh, the Devil's Tower thing that the guy was building out of mashed potatoes. I mean, it was just a really weird setup, you know? Um, and, and I can remember watching that movie and being a little freaked out about it, to be perfectly honest with you. I was a little freaked out by that movie. Um, but I, I will say this, that... Um, I know that there was a lot of talk around that time, and there's, it, it seemed like it was more so then, but not so much now, but, but people would ask the question, are there aliens? Have you ever been asked that question? Do you believe that there's aliens out there? Do you know what my response to that question is? This may seem a little weird, but my response to that question is this, that, um, yeah, I do, as a matter of fact. This is what I believe. I believe that there's a being out there whose intelligence is light years beyond what mine is. He doesn't exist within the, the, the bounds of space and time as we understand them. I, I believe that he can take any shape that he wants to. He can be any form that he wants to. And I believe this. This is what's even crazy. I believe he's come to this earth, as a matter of fact. I believe he's taken the form of a man. And he came to this earth, and he had powers that none of us had. He had supernatural ability that none of us had. I believe, I believe he, he, he came here as a man and he walked around on this earth, believe it or not. And I believe that, that he had some powers that none of us had, ability to, to heal people that nobody else had. Just by his touch, he could do that. And I believe that he was such a bizarre alien, as a matter of fact, that people didn't like him very much because they, they, they said he's not like us at all, as a matter of fact. And people began to hate him because he was so different. And then they, they, they ended up taking his life. But here's the weird part about it is we, we as human beings thought well, we could kill this guy. But there was no way to do that. We, we thought that we had the ability to take his life. But he, since he doesn't live like we live, we didn't really understand that. And he actually came back from the dead. And then, get this, he hung around with us for a little bit on this earth, even after he had died and come back to life. And then, you know what he did? He went back up into the heavens. Do I believe in aliens? You better believe it. In the person of Jesus Christ. Now, look, I know that there are some people right now that are going, 
Kenny is trying to say that Jesus Christ was an alien. I would say you're right. And I would say that I probably can't preach that in just any church, right? It has to be a simple church. But if you think about the strictest definition of an alien and what that looks like, man, somebody that comes from the heavens, has intelligence beyond our imagination, can actually see things that are going to happen, can look at people's hearts and read their minds. He, he, they, we tried to kill him and we couldn't. He came back to life. And then what did he do at the very end? He ascended right back up into the heavens. Like, I don't know about you, but that kind of looks like an alien to me. If somebody did that today, I would say, that's an alien. And today, it's my message to try to convince you that Jesus was an alien. No, that's not the, 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 the crux of the matter. Okay, that's not the reason I'm bringing that up. The reason I'm bringing that up is because I believe that if you look in, in the Close Encounters of the Third, uh, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind movie, you will see that those people, one of the things that, that people often say when they have alien encounters is that they come away, they say, I'm never the same. I, I, after that experience in my life, I'm just not the same as I was. It's just everything is different now because of what I experienced, and I'm not the same. I would say that the same is true when people have an encounter with this alien called Jesus Christ. I would say that when you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, that things aren't the same for you anymore. You don't look at things the same way. You don't act the same way. That things are just completely different. And yeah, my little background is a little eerie, okay? Everybody's thinking, is this, Kenny's got some kind of alien thing going on up here. Yeah, it's a little weird, but I did that on purpose to grab your attention to help you recognize that if you had an encounter with an alien, I don't think that you would act the same way or be the same way. I think that things would be different for you. And the thing that I see in, in the, the lives of the disciples of Jesus Christ is that when they had a real encounter with Jesus Christ, they were different. They were changed. And there are so many people that I, I see... That, I was at a place, I won't describe the place, I'll just say that I was somewhere last night and I was sitting there and I was watching a guy that I had baptized in this church and to my knowledge he has had zero interest in being at, at any other church service. He's had zero interest in, in, in learning more about who God is or, or, or going out into the world and reaching people for the gospel of Christ or going and doing mission work anywhere. I mean, he... He says that he's a Christian and had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And I would say, how do you say that that's true when there's no difference in your life as a result? If you had an encounter with, this, with an alien, I think that you would be different. And I believe if you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, you will be different. And that's what I want to look at uh, throughout the next coming weeks. I don't know how long this will last. Probably no more than six or eight months, I would think. So, you know, relax. This series won't take very long. Um, so, I want to look at different people that had an encounter with Jesus. And, and, and we're going to cover some scripture. I know we're going to cover some scripture you've heard like a million times, and that's okay. But I want you to think deeply about what it means to have an encounter with Jesus Christ and how these people were different as a result. And I want you to think about in your own life, if you had an encounter with Jesus Christ, are you different as a result of that encounter? Or are you still continuing on? It's like, well, that was a one-time thing, and that was great, and that was wonderful, and, and I think that something happened there, but ah, I don't know. I'm saved. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. I think there's some people that say that, and they haven't 
really, really become a disciple of Jesus. They haven't really, truly become a follower of Jesus. So we're going to be today in Luke chapter 5. We're going to be looking at, at, at the disciples. They're, they're one of their very first encounters with Jesus. In particular, Peter and, and his encounter with Jesus. We had to kind of start at the beginning as, as Jesus is beginning his earthly ministry and um, how, he, how he goes about calling his disciples and these people that, that have an encounter with, with Jesus. And so that's where we're starting in Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, beginning of verse 1, it says this. Now, one day Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the, the word of God. So here Jesus is doing what Jesus often does, and that's, that's he's, he's preaching. If you think about what Jesus came to do, he came to tell people that, you know what? You need to truly trust God. That you need to have faith in God. Now, when we hear that, it's almost become mundane to us. To hear those words, you've got to trust God. You have to have faith in God, that what God is doing is the right thing in your life. I think that a lot of people have become numb to this idea in a lot of ways because we've heard faith in God so much. And, we, you know, it could mean a ton of different things, you know. For Hindus, it means one thing. One thing for, for, uh, for the Wiccas, it means something else. For people that are in Scientology, it means something else. So we say faith in God, and it becomes like, yeah, what does that really mean? Jesus was coming to the earth for this purpose. Let me tell you why he was coming. He, he wanted to come to the, to the earth to set the record straight. He wanted people to understand what real faith was all about, what it meant to have a real relationship with God. And one of the things he did was tell everybody that the way you thought that you did that was kind of messed up. You're getting away from the original way I intended for things to be. And I, I, you're getting away from what, what I said. You've forgotten what I said. And that's basically the reason Jesus came was to get the, set the record straight and to do what had been promised in the Old Testament, which was the Messiah was going to come to make things right. And here, that's what we see. Jesus is going around telling people, this is what you need to know. And he would... Tell, think, tell stories, and he would teach about repentance. Oh, no, there's a big churchy word, right? Repentance. Which simply means to turn from you, to turn towards God, to turn away from yourself and turn towards the one who has all the answers. That's what real faith is all about. Saying that I know that your way is better than my way. I've been going my way too long. I'm turning towards you. And Jesus wanted to make sure that everybody understood that repentance was key in order to be able to, to follow God in the right way. And you could not do it externally, that you had to do it internally through the heart. And the heart change is what caused you to do that. So that's one of the main things that Jesus would say. He said, turn from your wicked ways. Turn towards God. In the Old Testament, you see the prophets saying that a lot, but you, you see them ignoring that a lot too. And Jesus comes to the earth, and he's still preaching the same message. Turn from your ways and turn towards God. So Jesus is walking around the shore of Galilee, and he's preaching and there are tons of people that pressed in around him. They wanted to see what he had to say. He didn't speak like everybody else. He spoke with an authority that was unlike anybody else. So Jesus is, is at the, the shore because a lot of times he would do this so his, his voice could go out. And it says, he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge. For the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. So Jesus rolls up on, on, some, you know, on two empty boats. And he looks at it and he says, huh, 
the guys are gone that normally use these boats for fishing. And he knows that they're, they're, they're out washing their nets because they usually did most of their fishing at night. These nets that they had, I mean, they were like some of them half a mile long. And what they would do, they'd have one boat that had the main net, and they would drop it out, and they would have another boat that would go around and kind of circle, and they would kind of loop back around and try to pull the fish in as the way that, that they usually fished with two boats at this particular time. The Sea of Galilee was not really a sea. It was more like a lake. And, and, and so they, they were fishing on the lake all night long because that was, that was the best way to do it. That was the best time to catch fish. You see, when the sun started to beat down, on the lake, that, that the water would get warm and the fish would go deeper. It was a lot harder to catch them. So you fish at night, and that was a better time to catch fish. I, I know that you're like, well, you sound like a first century fisherman. I'm not a fisherman at all, as a matter of fact. I don't even like to fish that much. But this is how they did it. So, so he, he sees these two bo empty boats, and he knows that the fishermen have gone to, to wash their nets because it's daytime now, and it's time for them to clean up and get ready for the next night to go fishing again. So Jesus steps into one of the boats, and he asks this guy named Simon. He's the owner of one of the boats. He says, to push out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. So, so Jesus says, all right, hey, Simon, can, can we go out in the boat so I can, I can get away from the people a little bit, and my voice will project off the water, and I can reach more people with the word of God? And this is something that Jesus did pretty often. You have to understand this is early in Jesus' ministry, so this is one of the very first times he's done this. He says, all right, Simon, do you mind if we get in this boat and I can go out and I can start preaching the word from the boat? Will that be all right with you? I know that, that you guys are out there washing their nets, but we just I want to get away from the crowds a little bit so I can teach more of them. It says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out to where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Now, when, when Jesus spoke a lot of times, he would say things that didn't make a lot of sense, right? At least from a human perspective. And I think what Jesus is trying to convince Simon Peter in this particular situation is, I'm going to say some things that aren't going to make a lot of sense to you right now. You ever, you ever hear God speak to you through his words, or through his word, and you, you, you hear it, and it goes in your ear, and it goes in your mind, and it goes in your heart, and you're like, I don't really get it all right now. But I believe that, that at some point in the future, I'll get more of it. You understand that that's kind of how the, the Word of God works. That you may not grasp it all right now. But as you experience things in your life, as you see things happen around you, as you continue to dig into God's Word and see more things, that it starts to build on each other, and you go, oh, I see now. So I want to encourage you that if you come in here some Sundays and you're like, I didn't really get all of that, I didn't really understand it that that may mean that there are experiences in your life that you haven't been through yet. There may be other passages in God's Word that you, you need to dig into and you need to find for yourself. Because, by the way, you don't need to just listen to me on Sundays. Sundays and Wednesdays, this is not the place where you need to be getting the majority of your digestion of the Word. You know that? Do you, do you know there, there's, there's another group that, that falls into this category um, Cassie and Cash and I were talking about it yesterday um, because we heard something Francis Chan had said, and that is that Francis Chan had an encounter with some Jehovah's Witnesses, right? And he was talking to them. He actually came up to him in his yard, <laughs> which I think is pretty funny. Um, 
I've had Jehovah's Witnesses come to my yard too, which is, that's pretty cool. I love talking to Jehovah's Witnesses. This dude came back like multiple times. I loved it. Um, we talked about the Word of God a lot. But, but Francis Chan, it was cool because I was listening to this thing that Francis Chan had said, and uh, he said the same thing to them that I had said to some Jehovah's Witnesses that had come to my house. And I just heard it yesterday. I was like, man, that's cool. That's exactly what I said. Now, this is what he said. He said, your problem is not that you've got the wrong book. The problem is that you're not reading it for yourself. You're listening to what some other guy says on Sundays, and you're not reading it for yourself, so you don't know what it says. All you know is what he says it says. You're listening to a man, and you're not listening to God. I, let me tell you the same thing. If it's just coming in here and listening to what I say about it, how do you know that I'm not getting it wrong? How do you know that I'm saying the right stuff? Have you read the book yourself? Do you take it home and, and you read the passage and then go back and look at the chapter before and the chapter after and say, is Kenny really telling us the truth here? Or is he telling us something that's not true? Because that, that's what happens in Jehovah's Witness faith. Because I had the guy, his name was Steve, and he came to my door and we talked about it. And he, man, he, he told me a lot of stuff that I did not believe. And he said, well, look right here. Look in this passage right here. If you know anything about me, you know that I'm all about context, right? And you cannot pick and choose one or two verses and dish them out to me and me go, oh, yeah, you must be right. High five. Good job, man. That's a proper exegesis of that passage right there, those two verses. No. I will say, I, this is what I did to him. I said, Steve, that's great that you believe that. Let me, let me show you that you're wrong, though, because... Let's back up two verses. I said, you can't just read those two verses and, and get the context and understand what God is trying to convey to you. You have to look at the context. You have to look at the whole passage. I said, so let's back up two paragraphs and start up here, and now let's read it. I said, can you see that what, what, you're, what you're saying is wrong now based on the context of the passage? I said, Steve, your problem is that you're listening to some guy tell you what that says and you're not reading it for yourself. I said, take that book home and read it, man. The truth is in there. You can find it for yourself. You don't have to listen to some other dude. See, you need to go and you need to look at this and see if what he's been teaching is really the truth. Let me tell you the same thing. You need to take this book home and you need to look at it and you need to see if what I'm telling you is the truth. And if it's not in some way, if I've been in error some way, then you should come to me and we should talk about it. And let me tell you something. If I have gotten something wrong, if I have said something that is incorrect, come to me and I will be the first person to stand up here and say, I was wrong. Let me explain what we have discovered through the power of the Holy Spirit, what God has shown us as a brother and sister in Christ trying to figure out what this passage means. Here's what it actually means, and I spoke it wrong. I promise you I will do that. I will shout it from the rooftops that I was wrong. I'm not some kind of egomaniac that thinks I've got it all figured out, okay? I'm just a person like you that, that tries my best to understand what God's Word says based on the context and what I have learned about God's Word so far. We got such a long way to go, y'all, myself included. I ain't got it figured out yet. And I think if I were to live a thousand years, I would just have scratched the surface. There may be some times when God will say some stuff, and you'll hear it you'll, through His Word. You'll, you'll see it, you'll hear it, and, and it'll go in your ear, and you'll be like, I don't necessarily get it. What does that mean? There's still some work to be done there. 
experiences it in your, in your life or some digging further in God's Word and examining God's Word and picking things apart and understanding it on different levels. Here, I think Jesus is showing Simon that you just got to trust me for a minute. I'm going to say something that doesn't really make a whole heck of a lot of sense to you right now. You just got to trust me for a minute. Just listen to what I'm saying. He says, go out to where it is deeper and let us and let down your nets to catch some fish. Now, Simon is a fisherman, right? This is his profession. As far as he knows, Jesus is just a talker guy, right? Like, he's, he's just a preacher. What do preachers know about fishing? You may look at me and say the same thing, right? And that would be a valid statement. Let me tell you, that's not a valid statement when it comes to the Son of God. He has a depth of knowledge beyond our comprehension. And let me tell you something. He knows about fishing, okay? He's about to prove the fact that he knows about fishing. You know that, that we do that sometimes in our own lives? We have the spiritual side of our life, which is to come in here or to do mission work or to, uh, you know, to go feed homeless people or, 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 or come to small groups or something like that. And we have the spiritual side, and we say, that belongs to God. And then we go to our jobs on Monday and we get stuck in a situation and we don't know what to do. And what do we do? We try to fix it, right? We try to figure it out. We try to understand it a little deeper. We try to make it all make sense. Let me challenge you in this way. How often do you, do you go to God with your problems at work? And I'm not just talking about your problems with people because that's a pretty natural place for us to go when we have an interaction with people that's just, it's a little off. You got some sort of bitterness with your boss or you're not getting along with somebody or somebody talks bad about you or whatever. Sometimes you'll go to God about that. I'm talking about the day-to-day -day details of your work and how you handle problems at work, how you handle situations. You realize that God is not just a God of the gospel. He's a God of everything. Here he's a God of fishermen, showing these guys what it means to fish. I happen to be in, in the IT world, right? So I'm a computer geek. That's what I do. I'm telling you. I, look, I told you I'm still a work in progress, just like everybody else. I'm still learning the fact that sometimes I have to go to God with my computer questions. Do you know that, that God's like a computer expert? Did you know that? He really is. He, he knows a lot of stuff. And computers, when you think about the processing power and all that kind of stuff they have, it's just like that compared to the knowledge of God, the understanding of God. But we don't think in those terms a lot of times. We miss that golden opportunity to take every single one of our issues to God and say, God, I can't figure this out. I know that you're the God of all knowledge and all power, and you show me what I need to do here. I can tell you that one of our guys in the church, I've been trying to tell people this for a long time, that you can really trust God with anything and any answer. And he was, he was telling me a story not too long ago about he's a carpenter, which Jesus knows a little something about carpentry, by the way. But anyway, um, so y'all didn't laugh about that. That's all right. About 2.30, you'll get it. But anyway, so he was trying to figure out how to cut something as a piece of flooring or something, and he couldn't get it to work. He said, so I stopped and prayed about it. You'll see him in the 11 o'clock service. You can talk to him about it. But he said, I stopped and prayed about it. And he said, I went and cut the next board. And he said, and, and it fit perfectly. Now, am I telling you that God will always give you the answers instantaneous and that you'll be able to go and figure it out immediately? No. 
Am I telling you you're supposed to trust God with every single situation in your life, even little things about how things are supposed to go at work and what you're supposed to do at work and how to figure out problems at work? Yes, you're supposed to do that. God wants that deep connection with us. He wants us to trust him on that level. It's called faith. That's what it's called. The more trust you have in him, the more, the more dependence you have on him, the deeper your faith becomes. Now, my students over here, they're going, this is what they're doing. They're going, so I don't have to study anymore. I know what the answer is. I'll take my test and I'll lay it on my desk. Lord, the answers, please. Kenny said on Sunday that if I come to you and trust you, that you'll give me the answers. Fill my test out. No, it doesn't work like that. God does want you to learn stuff on your own. God does want you to depend on him, but God wants you to, to learn too, right? And he wants you to be diligent. And he wants you to honor him by your diligent studies. Am I telling you that you can't go to God and say, God, I, I really need you to help me figure this out? Yes, you certainly can. But am I telling you that God may not give you the answers because he wants you to learn something through that situation? Yes, that's true too. I believe that, that God really wants us to depend on him on a deeper level. And I don't think we're supposed to have this separation in our life between this belongs to God and this is Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, and, but this over here, this is me and I got to do all this on my own. I don't believe that God wants us to operate like that. I believe that God really wants us to be, Lord, it's all about you. My whole life belongs to you. And whatever I'm dealing with, whether it's at work or school or, or, or friendships or, or marriages or whatever, God, it all belongs to you. So I trust you with every single thing. And I believe God's honored through that. And here, he's, he, I believe that he's kind of pointing this out to Simon. He says, all right, not going to really believe me here, but I want you to put out your, your nets a little bit. And... <laughs> Simon, who later becomes Peter, he says this. He said, Master, Simon replied, we worked, all, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. So he's a little reluctant. He's a little reluctant, right? He's saying, hey, JC, I'm a fisherman, okay? I know how to fish. We do this. I... I know how to fish. We, we were fishing at night because that's when you catch the fish. Fine. I'll appease you a little bit. I'm, I'm, he calls him master. So he, he's got a submission thing going on here to Jesus. He understands he's a preacher. He's like, all right, man. I hear you. I'm a fisherman, but we're going to do it anyway to appease you. Now we've got to wash our nets again. It's going to be a lot of headache for us. We just got done washing them. Now you're telling us that he said, Last night, we didn't catch anything. So you, now you think that now the sun's come out, it's beating down on the lake, that we're actually going to be able to catch some fish now. I'm sure in the back of his mind, Simon Peter's going, dude, you must be crazy. You must be out of your mind. But we're going to do it anyway. And then Jesus shows that he's God. He shows that he's God of the fish. He shows that he's God of the boats. He shows he's God of the crowds that are listening to him preach. He shows that he's, he's God of the water. Jesus shows to Simon Peter who he really is. And it says this in verse 6. 
And at this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. Simon Peter had been relying on his human effort to catch fish. It didn't work out so well for him. Now God shows up in the person of Jesus Christ and he goes, do what I say. And all of a sudden he's got more fish than he knows what to do with. I want you to understand that God is sovereign over every aspect of your life. That everywhere that you think God isn't, he's really there. That there, there, there may be times in your life where you encounter some tragedy. Somebody's been in a car wreck. Uh, your child's having a seizure because of a brain tumor. And you go, God, I don't know what to do here. I don't, I don't know how to handle this. I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. But I know that, that you're in control of brain tumors and seizures and car accidents. I know that you're in control of all of that. You see... This is what I think. I think the more and more you become used to trusting God in all these different areas of your life, the more and more you begin to think that way instantaneously. Every time you encounter something, all I can think about is, is handing this to Jesus Christ, handing this over to God, saying, God, what, what are you going to do with this situation? I trust you in this. Lead me, guide me so that I can make the right decisions, but I trust you to lead me. I don't want to do this on my own. See, I think it needs to become second nature to us as we respond that way. We respond that way to Jesus going, Jesus, what you have is the right way, so I want to do what you would have me to do. A real dependence on the power of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit of God. And here, I think that's what he's trying to, to teach Simon Peter. Not only does it affect Simon Peter, but it starts to affect other people around Simon. It says, a shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon the boats were filled with fish and were on the verge of sinking. So imagine these other fishermen, they're coming up, they're going, uh, Simon's got a dude in his boat that told him to let down his nets. It's the middle of the day, we're not supposed to be catching anything. Now he's calling for the other boats to come around because we got so many fish we don't know what to do with. Can you imagine for a second that maybe those other fishermen later on went to, went to Simon and went, Hey, dude, that guy you had in the boat, who was that? Can I meet him? He seems like he knows a lot of stuff, even about fish. Can you tell me about that guy? And Simon would say, Well, yeah, let me tell you a little story about when I thought I knew what I was doing about fishing and what he showed me and can you imagine the impact it started having on that fishing community around there? I imagine they were like, hey, does anybody know where Jesus is? We got to go fish today. We sure would like to have him in the boat. If you know where he is, could you please point him out to us? Can you imagine the murmuring that was going on in the, in the fishing community? You, you remember in Forrest Gump where the, the hurricane comes through and like all the other shrimp boats are destroyed and there's only Forrest Gump and he's like pulling the nets and there's shrimp just boom everywhere you know what I mean that must have been what it was like a little bit you know what I mean like like there's just fish everywhere and I imagine that that word would get out I imagine it was on the news it's probably on ABC 3340 Jesus went fishing and look what happened y'all I imagine that that this this is the way that, that God works that, that he starts to to, to change people's lives and it's, it becomes contagious and it starts to spread around and people start looking at Jesus going, man, this guy, there's something special about him. There's something different about him than any other person we've ever met. 
And he's proven that he's God and he's sovereign over the fish and the water and the seas and the boats and the people and all of that. And he, he's just showing that he's God. So much so that the, the other boats were on the verge of sinking. Imagine at some point they were like, hey, not so many fish there, Jesus. We, we're good for right now. So Simon Peter realizes what's happened. It hits him, right? This is no ordinary guy. It says when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. When Simon Peter had an encounter with Jesus Christ, he knew he was in the presence of God. Simon Peter was a Jew. And Jewish people know that you don't worship anybody who's not the one true God. You don't fall down on your knees before anybody who's not God. He knew he was in the presence of God. And you know what it did? In a split second, he realized who he was. He realized his heart went, oh no. Who am I? Because who am I in the presence of? When you have a real encounter with Jesus Christ, your heart gets opened up in a way that you cannot explain. When you're in the very presence of God, there's something that happens that, for many of us, it draws tears immediately to our eyes when we think about what it means to be in the presence of God. Because we immediately recognize who we are. And we immediately recognize how far we are from God because of our sin. Is there an experience that happens when you give your life to Christ? When you get saved? Is there an experience that happens there? Yes, there is. Is it emotional? Yes. Oftentimes it is very emotional. I know for me it was very emotional. I didn't understand what was going on in my heart. All I knew was that I could not stop crying because of who I was. That's all I knew, y'all. That, that, that was, and, and I, I just said, I need to do something as a response to what God is doing and how he has revealed himself to me. I have to do something. So I prayed and asked God to forgive me, to make me forever different, to change the way that I was, and that I might really be dependent on him for everything. It broke me down. It really did. But it didn't stop there. It didn't stop there. Are there times in my life where I haven't done the right thing? Are there times in my life where I've messed up in a royal way? Yes. Yes, there are. Are there times when I was distant from God? Yes. Yes, there have been. But the overall picture of my life is that I've been trying my best to pursue God in the best way I knew how. And, 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 and even though sometimes I fell short or fell away, there were times where I always knew where God was and I always wanted to come back to Him and always had a desire in my heart to live for Him. I told you before that if your sin doesn't bother you, then you're not a Christian. Even in those times where I was distant from God, my sin bothered me. My sin was a burden for me. My sin hurt me. 
Because the Holy Spirit of God had indwelt me and taken up residence in my life. And sin and the Holy Spirit, when they're, they're in the same place, it, it, it hurts. It's just painful. And here, Peter is in the presence of God. And he sees his sin. And his sin in the presence of God is painful. So painful that he says, Lord, please leave me. Please do not stay in my presence. Do you know that there are people that come into this place and they experience a real encounter with God and they see and feel and the Holy Spirit of God speaking to them and because they recognize they're in the presence of God, they go out the door and they never come back. That happens. That happens because it frightens them. It is a frightening experience to see who you are in the presence of God. And some people can't bring themselves to humble themselves before God and say, God, this is who I am, and I cannot be saved apart from you, so God, you have to do something. I'm asking you, I'm begging you, I'm falling at the the foot of your cross, falling on your mercy and your grace, and the only way that I can get past this is through you. And so many people walk out the door and say, I just cannot stand to be in the presence of God. They don't ever come back. That's reality, y'all. It's absolute reality. It says in verse 9, For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as, as were the others with him. His partners James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. These are two of the other guys that would become some of Jesus' closest disciples. And here they are. They recognize that they're in the presence of God too. I'm sure in their conversations with Peter, they're like, who was that guy? And it says this, Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. When I gave my life to Christ, I was very, very broken over who I was, right? Like, I mean, it, it, I cried a lot because of who I realized I was. But when I said, God, you have everything in my life, and I, I got up, and there was, it, there was nobody else there that time when I, when I went down. And, and I mean, there were, there were people that were around me, but nobody else that gave their life to Christ that day. And I just remember... I remember the tremendous burden and weight that was lifted off of my shoulders, the, the, the freedom that I felt as a result of knowing I'd been made clean. I remember what it felt like. And I, it's like Jesus was saying directly to my heart, don't be afraid anymore. Don't be afraid. I came to save you, not to condemn you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He says, don't be afraid. And then he says this. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Now, I think, I could be wrong, but I think based on what I see in the Word of God, there's two reasons why Jesus said, don't be afraid. He said, don't be afraid 
to Simon Peter because he recognized he was in the presence of God. And he knew that, 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 that Simon Peter would immediately be terrified of the fact that he was in the presence of God. So Simon, Simon Peter had to understand the words, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of who I am. Don't be afraid of the power that exists in me because I'm God. Don't be afraid. Because if you put your trust and your faith in me and my way and, and, and you turn from your way, that, that you don't have any reason to be afraid anymore. But then he also says something immediately after, don't be afraid. And he says, now you'll be a fisher of people. You'll be a fisher of men. I believe that, that there, there was a, a foreshadowing, a foretelling, a, a whatever you want to call it, to, to say that there was going to be a time also, Peter, when you're going to be afraid because you will have to go against every single person to go and be fishers of men. There's going to be times in your life where you're going to be terrified to death of the, what I'm calling you to do right now. You're going to be terrified of the fact that I'm calling you to go now and to do something else. To go beyond just to be satisfied with where you are now. To go and reach other people with this message so that they won't be afraid either. You're going to be terrified of that. Your life is going to be put on the line. For this message is you got to go tell other people not to be afraid, just like you're afraid right now. And you got to go and tell them. I don't, for the life of me, understand people that say they've had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And they don't, they don't have this message on their heart. They have no desire in their heart to go and be fishers of men. I don't see that in God's word. I don't see that anywhere. Where Jesus says, you're forgiven, it's okay. There's nothing else for you to do now. There's always this underlying message of, now go and do, go and tell somebody else and have them experience what you've experienced through the reality of who Jesus Christ is. Go and pour this love and make other disciples through the same process. If you're looking for answers in your life as to whether or not you're a Christ follower or not, are you the same before your encounter with Christ? Is there no change in your life? Does your sin bother you? Are you complacent with your sin? Does it not really matter to you? Is there any desire in your heart whatsoever to go and tell other people to go and be fishers of men? Is there any desire like that in your heart? How can you be a Christian and those things not be true? I don't understand. I don't understand. That's not what you see in this book. seems like we've dumbed it down to just come to church on Sundays and Wednesdays and you're saved. I don't read that. That's not what's in that book. And I won't preach that message to you. Examine yourself. Look at your life. Look at your heart in the context of Scripture, in the mirror of Scripture. See if your life lines up with what Scripture says. 
You can tell. And you know when you lay down at night and you're looking up at the ceiling and your eyes are wide open, the room's completely dark. You know. You do know. How does your life compare to Scripture? How does your life compare to what we've seen here in Luke chapter 5? Just 11 verses of looking at what happened when Simon had an encounter with Jesus. Have you experienced the reality of God through Jesus Christ? Have you been broken of your sin? Have you repented of your sin and turned away from you and turned towards God? If you haven't, you're not a Christian. You can be broken over your sin. When you humble yourself before the cross and ask God to open up your heart. God revealed to me who I am. You have to do it with humility and faith. And that's the only way. Let me pray. Father. God, I just thank you, Lord, for the power and the truth of your word. I have said nothing that's not in your word. God, this is your word. This is what you have said. And God, there are some people here that may have had an experience one time that was very emotional. But they never fully committed their lives to you. They never fully said yes to you. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would just reveal that to them today. The way that only you can through your power. God, you are sovereign in control. And Lord, I just trust that you can, you can reveal to people and open up their hearts and open up their eyes and let them see themselves for who they really are. God, I believe that this happened to Simon because he recognized that he was in the presence of God. I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, God, they would recognize that they're in the presence of God, that the power of your Holy Spirit is right here in this place. And that, God, they can surrender to you. God, they can experience that freedom of, of understanding those words, do not be afraid. Lord, but I pray that every single person in this room would examine themselves, look at themselves in the light of Scripture, look at their hearts in the light of Scripture, and say, God, are these things true about me? Are these things true of me and my life and my encounter with Jesus Christ? Am I complacent over my sin? Have I truly seen myself for who I am? Do I have a desire to go and make disciples and be fishers of men? God, may each and every one of us look at ourselves in light of what you have said. May we respond to you in whatever way that may be. Some people may need to come to faith in Christ today. I pray that they would come and talk to me or come and talk to somebody that they can trust and say, I just need to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Lord, for the Christian that's here, the follower of Christ, has committed themselves to living sacrificially for your kingdom. Lord, I pray that they would just rejoice today. Remembering the power of that encounter with you and the fact that that encounter has forever changed them. Maybe we just need to praise you and worship you in a way like we never have before. Maybe we just need to rejoice in the fact of who you are, God, and the fact that we are in the very presence of God because you dwell within us. Whatever the case, Lord, I just pray that we'd be people that are responsive to you. God, this is your time. It belongs to you. Be glorified now. As we sing your praises, as we respond to you, as people come and pray, God, I pray that you're glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.